in, uh, in Haggai in chapter 2, the prophet is speaking to the people of God. This has a, um, uh, an Old Testament um, meaning, but it also has a New Testament, specifically an end time meaning. Beginning in verse 7, he says, And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, we've explained this every time, but I, I'm sorry. I just have to take another moment or two and, and say it again for those of you that may not have been with us. At the time that these things are spoken, the, the, uh, uh, the Jews are attempting to build the second temple or rebuild the temple. There are three temples in, uh, throughout the Old Testament up through the end of the Gospels. The first was Solomon's temple. We'll read about that in a little bit in just a moment. Uh, it was filled with the glory of God at it, upon its dedication. It was a place that God had... Uh, it was what David wanted to build, but God wouldn't let him build because he was a man of war. His son Solomon built it, and, and as a result, it was everything that, um, uh, that the, the people of Israel had, uh, had looked forward to. The, the presence of God was there. It was just magnificent. Israel then disobeyed God and, and went into um, uh, bondage of the Babylonians, and the temple was destroyed. Now, many years later, some 70 years later now, uh, they're trying to rebuild the temple. And this was the time where that, these words were spoken by the prophet Haggai. And so a lot of people, the people of that day, certainly assumed that what God was saying is the second temple is going to be just like the first one or even better. The problem is we know from history, uh, the Bible as well as uh, historical documents that, uh, that are not Bible-related, we know that the second temple was nothing in comparison to the first temple. There were people that were still, uh, older people that had, uh, were still alive that had seen the first temple in its operation. And when the second temple was dedicated and began to operate, they wept because they said, this is nothing in comparison to Solomon's temple. Well, that temple was later destroyed because the children of Israel rebelled against God again, went back into captivity in another, to another people. Uh, and then uh, the third temple was uh, Herod's temple. Herod was a Jew who was placed in charge of overseeing the Jews on behalf of the Romans. Uh, the idea was the Jews would follow one of their own rather than somebody that, uh, that Rome set up that was not a Jew. And so uh, Herod was somebody that was trying to make a name for himself. And so he built a temple. This is the one that was uh, in place when Jesus was here on the earth. Jesus and his disciples went through the temple one day and the disciples looked around and said, Oh, Jesus, have you ever seen anything as magnificent as this? And Jesus kind of scoffed at it. He said the day is coming and it won't be too long that there won't be one stone left upon another. Now the reason Jesus disdained that temple was because it was not for the glory of God. It was built for the glory of Herod. And so Jesus counted it as worthless. The disciples were impressed because it was uh, nicely built and it had, you know, furnishings that were pretty and stuff like that. But Jesus wasn't impressed. You know, it's that way with God too. God's not really impressed with how pretty we make something. Including ourselves. What God's impressed with is the motive of our heart. He's impressed with the things that are on the inside, the reasons for things. So, we know, therefore, that this is not talking about the second temple that he's going to fill with the, the glory of God. Well, what temple is he talking about then? He's talking about you and me. God's plan from the beginning was to dwell within man. And so the filling this house with glory he's talking about is I'll fill the church with glory. I'll fill my people, those that are born again, those that receive my son, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. That's where the glory of God will be revealed. Now this has an end time meaning because he talks about the desire of all nations shall come. Shaking of all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. The Bible says that the whole earth is groaning and travailing, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. 
That's speaking of the rapture. See, there's a curse on the earth just like there was a curse upon man. Just like when Adam fell and the curse came upon man, the Bible says there was a curse upon the earth too. The earth is groaning and travailing. It doesn't want to be under the curse. Anything that God creates has an element of life to it. And as such, the earth does not want to because it's not been made to be under the curse. It doesn't want to be under the curse. So it's looking forward to the day where it's liberated. And that's where the Bible speaks of the earth groaning and travailing, waiting for this time. So this has an end time connotation. Well, these are the last days, aren't they? Folks, there's only one thing left to be accomplished before Jesus comes back, and that's the shout from heaven. We're the only generation that can say that. There have always been, for every other generation, there have been prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. Not for us. Now, I think there are still things yet to be done. I think things will get better for the church as far as the glory of God being manifest for the church before Jesus comes back. I believe we still have some time, but I believe that time is short. But if Jesus came back today, everything he said would be done in the scripture has been done. He could come back any time. The only thing left to be accomplished that the Bible speaks of before Jesus appears for the church, speaking of the rapture, is the shout from heaven. Live ready. Now, people, when I say things like that, people always come up to me after the service and say, Pastor Mike, how long do we have? (laughs) Well, I don't know. I really don't know. But I'm real careful about buying green bananas. He could come any time, folks, and we need to be ready for him to come. So back to verse 7. He says, And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. He's talking about the rapture. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. So the filling of the house, filling of the church, filling of the people of God with glory has to have some kind of relationship to the rapture then, doesn't it? Or at least in time events. He's talking about what's going to happen at the end. Now, folks, in one sense, and we'll talk about this as we go, in one sense, it's already happened. You are filled with the glory of God. You may look at yourself in the mirror and not know it. You may not recognize it, but you are. But this seems to be indicating that there's going to be a greater measure of glory or maybe an outpouring of some greater measure than what we would have at some other time or under normal circumstances, we might say, because it's spoken to relative to the end time events. So he says, And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Now whatever you think about that, there's some connection between silver, gold, and glory. I personally believe that this is speaking of the scripture, several scriptures, several different places where it says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. If you look at, if you just think about the timing on that, At what point in time would the wealth of the wicked do the just any good? Certainly not after Jesus comes before us. We're not going to be here. Jesus is going to rapture us out of here. Well, maybe it's talking about the millennium. Who cares? Jesus is in charge then and he's ruling with a rod of iron. Just waiting for some ungodly people to step outside the line. He's not ruling that way now over you and me. He's ruling us with grace and with love and with kindness. During the millennium, not so. Which means there are going to be people that are rebellious to God here on the earth during the millennium. During the thousand year reign of Jesus. It's going to be like Jesus is standing up daring somebody to do the wrong thing. I'm going to really enjoy the millennium. 
assuming the news media makes it through the, makes it through the tribulation, <laughs> we know they're not going in the rapture. It'll be the first time in the history of mankind that the truth is spoken. Okay, silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 8, verse 9, and the glory of this latter house. Again, he's not talking about the second temple that was being rebuilt at the time. He's not talking about Herod's temple. So he's got to be talking about the house of God, meaning the church. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Now turn back with me to Second Chronicles chapter 5. I told you that we'd make mention of at least um, Solomon's temple. When we first started this series, we, uh, we took a lot of Old Testament scriptures where it referred to the glory of God being manifest, and, and, um, uh, and, and we spent some time on it. Now, really, perhaps I should have spent more time going over some of these scriptures. But be that as it may, I want to make sure that you know of this one, this instance. It was not the first time that the glory of God was seen. It was not the first time that it appeared, and we'll make mention of that as we go as well. But this was a time that was, uh, was significant as far as the glory of God upon the temple was concerned. Second Chronicles chapter 5, we'll start reading in verse, uh, uh, well, let's see, I guess we better start in verse 11. It says, And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not then wait by course. In other words, it's saying that during uh, the dedication of Solomon's temple, it wasn't the way the priests normally operated, where they'd do it in shifts, and one priest would do one thing, and then after him, another priest would do something else. Everybody was ready, everybody was prepared, everybody was together. Also, verse 12, the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph, of Heman, of Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them a hundred and twenty priests sounding with trumpets. They had the whole band out. And it came to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, here's what they sang. They praised the Lord, saying, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Here's the result, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand a minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Now, the Bible speaks over and over again of the glory of the Lord appearing like a cloud. This is the same thing that, uh, that occurred in Genesis chapter 15 when God cut the covenant, made a covenant with Abraham. Genesis chapter 15, God shows up and says, Fear not, Abraham, I am your exceeding great reward. I like, it, I like the, word, the meaning of the words themselves rather than just the, New Testament, uh, the uh, King James translation of it. Exceeding great reward means vehemently increasing payment. That was God's attitude toward, toward Abraham. He said, Abraham, because I have made an arrangement with you, because I've made a covenant with you, because you have obeyed me, I'm your vehemently increasing payment. I like the vehemently word because the devil tries to keep God's payment from being realized in your life. But it indicates that on God's side, he makes sure that everything that can be done and needs to be done is done on your behalf. So he said, uh, he speaks to, to Abraham and Abraham says, uh, he, he tells Abraham about the stars of the sky. Look at the sky and see other stars. And Abraham said, well, how am I going to know that I'm going to have children like that? 
So God makes a covenant with him. Further on down in the 15th chapter, it says that during this time, there was a deep sleep that fell upon Abraham. And it says a smoking furnace. King James says, I think this is about verse 17 of Genesis 15. It says a smoking furnace and a burning lamp appeared. Now, what does that mean to you? You know what it means to me? Nothing. I don't know how you could hide the real meaning of something any more than saying a smoking furnace. Because the only furnace I knew is the kind that I grew up with and it had the heat registers on the floor in the house that I grew up in. Left my tractor on that thing one day and it melted the tires down in that. Plastic dripped down in there and started stinking up the house and I got a whipping like you would not believe. I don't like smoking furnaces. Well, what does it mean? Well, the, the words themselves, smoking furnace, literally means vaporous glistening. It's talking about the cloud of glory. Burning lamp means flaming torch. So it's saying that the glory of the Lord appeared at that time when God made a covenant with Abraham and God himself, as the flaming torch, walked in between the pieces, which is the way that covenants were done in the ancient days. God literally carried out his end. He appeared and carried out his end of making a covenant which was a pledge to Abraham of everything that God had and everything God could do. Abraham said, how will I know? God said, here's how you're going to know. I'm making a covenant with you. The Bible says the glory of the Lord appeared on the Old Testament tabernacle, the tabernacle in the wilderness, when God was instruct, had instructed Moses to, to build a place, a dwelling place for his presence. He couldn't live within man because man was still bound by sin. But the Old Testament tabernacle, the tabernacle of the wilderness, talked about how the glory of the Lord would appear. Many times it would appear in the tabernacle when the people rebelled. It appeared to protect Moses time after time after time. It always appeared when they made sacrifices. Ezekiel talks about the cloud. He talks about the cloud even as a, a brightness, as a shining. He even talks about it like a rainbow in one case having to do with his call to the ministry, having to do with something that God had ordained for him to do. We get to the New Testament. Turn with me over to John chapter 1. We get to the New Testament, and the glory of God still appears, but it shows in different ways. And remember, God's original plan, that which was fulfilled through the sacrifice of Jesus, was to return the glory to mankind. Man was created in glory, but he fell from it when Adam sinned. Notice what John says. John chapter 1. Um, well, let's read a couple of verses of Scripture. Let's read verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, was with God, and the Word was God. Now, the Word he's talking about is Jesus. We'll show you that as we go. The same was in the beginning. Verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Now, he's talking about Jesus. Because that's the, that's the reference that he's making. The Word was God. He's talking about Jesus. All things were made by Him. And without Him, apart from Jesus, in other words, was not anything made that was made. In Him, Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, the darkness he's talking about is people. Specifically the Jews. They didn't recognize who Jesus was. Skip down with me to verse 14. Oh, I'll tell you what, let me, let me stop on the way to verse 9. Speaking of Jesus again, it says, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He's talking about the new birth. He's talking about his spiritual renewal or recreation. 
when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. That's what happens when you get born again. God lights your candle. That's the way David described it in the Old Testament. Verse 14. And the word, the same word that was with God, the same word that was God, the same word that created all things and without, apart from him was nothing created. It says, and the word was made flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among us. Now what good did that do? Or what result did that bring? Notice what goes on in verse 14. And we, John speaking of himself and the others that were with him, and we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now what did they see? John's saying we beheld his glory. What did he see? Well, he writes a whole book about the miracles that Jesus did. Just like the other gospel writers. He writes a book about Jesus raising the dead, about healing the sick, casting out devils and people being delivered. He tells us about the teaching that Jesus did to cause people to know what God was like. Jesus said himself, John's the one that tells us that Jesus said himself, the words that I'm speaking to you, they're not my words. They're words that are given to me of the Father. He goes on to say the works that I'm doing, they're not do- I'm not doing it in and of myself. Most people, most Christians think, and it's a religious idea, it's not a Bible idea, but most Christians have the idea that Jesus came to the earth and did miracles because he was the Son of God. Jesus said that's the very thing that he didn't do. If that was the case, then Jesus would have said, yeah, I'm the Son of God, that's why I'm doing this stuff. But he didn't. He said, the works that I do, I don't do of myself. In other words, it's not because I'm the Son of God. Well, if you're not doing them in and of yourself because you're the Son of God, Jesus, why are you doing them? Or what enables you to do them? He said, but the Father in me, he's doing the works. In other words, he's saying it's the Spirit of God within him that's doing the miracles and not him himself. Jesus is making the distinction between him as a flesh and blood human being born of the Spirit of God who is literally the the first begotten of, of God, the only begotten Son. He's making the distinction between him as the only begotten Son of God and the Spirit of God that's equipping him for miracles. That's hard for a lot of the church to accept. But I'm just simple enough to believe what Jesus said to be true. How about you? Now turn with me over to Romans chapter 6. We know Jesus went to the cross. We know that he went to the cross to bring new life to mankind. And notice what Paul tells us by the Holy Spirit. What raised Jesus from the dead? Romans chapter 6 beginning in verse, uh, let's start in verse 3. He said, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. He's not talking about water baptism, folks. He's talking about being born again. Being baptized in water is different from being baptized into Christ. You're baptized into Christ when you confess Jesus as the Lord of your life. You're brought into the family of God. Baptism in water is just an outward sign of what you've already done inside. See, being baptized in water doesn't get anybody saved. If water baptism saved you, then everybody that went swimming would come out a new new creature in Christ Jesus. It's just water. No, it's being baptized into Christ by a decision from your heart acted on through the confession of your mouth. That's what brings you into the family of God. That's the baptism he's talking about. And he says, whenever you make Jesus the Lord of your life, don't you know that you were baptized into his death? In other words, don't you know you died with him? 
So many people are struggling with the, the, the problems and the issues and, the, and the, the, the characteristics of their flesh. They're trying to overcome their flesh. Folks, it's, overcoming your flesh is real easy. Realize you're dead. The Bible says that you died with Christ. That means your body is dead, but your spirit's alive. I don't know if this helps anybody else, but one of the things that really helped me is to recognize that this body is just an old, like putting an old corpse. And you know, the Romans used to do this. They used to kill people by finding a diseased body, somebody that had leprosy. And they would strap that diseased body on the back of someone and make them walk around. And pretty soon, the disease on the person on their back would eat up the flesh of the individual. Yeah, it's a real nice picture, isn't it? Well, that's the picture of you carrying around your flesh. That's why the Bible says, put off the old man. Drop that dead thing. And folks, I've got to tell you, there are places you can go, you can't go with God carrying a dead body. Just like if you were doing it naturally, there's some restaurants you couldn't get in. Works that way with your relationship with God, too. You learn to put off that old man and put on the new man, and it's a totally different situation. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, how do I drop the old flesh when I have to deal with that until Jesus gets here? Realize it's dead. It's not the real you. You control whether you pick it up or whether you put it down. Okay, well, that's not my message this morning. So he says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ made Jesus the Lord of our lives, in other words, were baptized unto his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead, how was he raised? By the glory of the Father. What raised Jesus from the dead? The Bible says it was the glory of the Father. Like as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Now turn with me over to Romans chapter 8. What does he mean? Jesus was raised up again by the glory of the Father. He's saying the glory of God raised Jesus from the dead. Now this has got to be the same glory that John said that we beheld in Jesus. So what is this glory of God? Romans chapter 8 verse 11 it says, But if the same Spirit, or the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. Now Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 says it was the glory of the Father. Romans 8 verse 11 says it was the Spirit of God. So what is the glory of God? It's the Holy Spirit. The glory of God is the Holy Spirit. Now turn with me over to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 tells us the story of after Jesus is raised from the dead, Peter, the church has been going now for about 10 years since the time that Jesus was raised. But it really hasn't gotten outside of Jerusalem much. It went into Samaria in in Acts chapter 8. And there was a a smattering of evangelism there. The whole city turned out. And so uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it was a a small crusade. It It was a big thing. But what I'm saying is the church has not actively sought to spread the gospel like Jesus told them to do. So here in Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision. And he sees all these animals coming down in a sheet. Some of them clean, some of them unclean. And there's a voice from heaven says, rise, slay, Peter, slay and eat. And Peter, who's so accustomed to the law of Moses, says, not so, Lord. He knows it's the Lord talking to him. But he says, not so, Lord. No unclean thing has ever passed over my lips. In other words, he's saying, I'm not going to eat some unclean thing. I don't care if you are telling me to. 
And Jesus answers back and says, call not thou unclean. Don't call unclean that which I have cleansed. Well, the, the Bible says that happened three times. And after it's over, Peter's wondering what all this stuff means. Don't tell me you've got to be smart for God to use you. Peter's proof of that. Three times Jesus tells him to do something, and he says no three times. And then he's thinking, gee, I wonder what all that meant. Duh. It means obey God. At that point in time, while he's wondering what these things mean, the Spirit of the Lord speaks up and and says to him, three men are downstairs looking for you. Go with them and don't ask any questions. God deals with you however he has to. This is how he had to deal with Peter. So, he finds out that these three men have come from Cornelius' house. Of course, Cornelius had a vision and saw an angel who said, go to this certain place and find a guy named Peter. So the next morning, it was too late in the day for him to start off. Then, the next morning, they go back over to Cornelius' house. And boy, Cornelius has got his house full of people. He's called in everybody. He's told everybody, I saw a vision. I saw an angel. The angel said, send to a place for a man named Peter. I've never had that happen before. This Peter is going to come back. and He's going to tell us how to get saved. What's getting saved, Cornelius? I don't know. But the angel said, we need to do it. So he's got the house full of people. Peter comes in there and is so packed he can't hardly get in. So he goes in and he starts telling them about Jesus. Now he finally figures out, oh, this wasn't about eating meats. This wasn't about eating animals. He's talking about I've cleansed the Gentiles. Okay. So Peter didn't go alone. He brought other people, Jewish uh, leaders from uh, from the church in Jerusalem, people that were still holding on to circumcision, still holding on to the law of Moses. He comes down there and preaches a wonderful, wonderful sermon. Acts chapter 10 Uh, verse uh, 38 is one of the great scriptures that we use in many different applications how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him he told him about Jesus now look at verse 44 it said while Peter yet spake these words Peter's in the middle of his preaching while Peter yet spake these words the Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the word. Please get that phrase. It fell on all them that heard the word. He fell on all them that heard the word. This reminds me of what the Bible says in Luke chapter 5 about those that came to Jesus to hear and to be healed. The implication is you can't get people healed unless they'll hear. In this case, in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, it tells us that the people that heard Receive the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost fell on them. Now, isn't that an interesting way for God to put it? Here's the Holy Ghost inspiring Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, to tell us that the Holy Ghost fell. Thank God the Holy Ghost falls. It does not say the Holy Ghost rose up within them. It doesn't say the Holy Ghost moved Peter. It says the Holy Ghost fell. The Holy Ghost couldn't rise up in them because they're not saved yet. They're just hearing about getting saved. Thank God the Holy Ghost falls still in the New Testament. And then it says those that were of the circumcision that came with Peter and everybody in the group was astonished because of the gift of the Holy Ghost that was poured out upon them. Well, how'd they know the Holy Ghost was poured out upon them? For we heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So here the Holy Ghost falls, gets them saved and filled with the Holy Ghost all in one shot. And the Jews didn't even believe the Gentiles could have either one.
I'm convinced that in the last days where God said, I'll fill this house with glory and the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. I'm convinced that God's going to do a lot of things in a lot of places that people don't even think that he can do. I'm convinced that he's going to do a lot of things for a lot of people that, that others in the church don't even think God wants to reach. Watch him reach the Muslims. Watch him get terrorists saved. You know, the people you want to go to hell. Watch and see what God does. Thank God the Holy Ghost falls. He still falls today when we hear the word. When we hear the word. Now, we've seen in the Old Testament that the Holy Ghost filled the temple. We've seen the Holy Ghost filled the tabernacle in the wilderness. We've seen the Holy Ghost come upon those that were anointed to minister. Ezekiel talks a lot about seeing the glory of God. And the glory of the Lord came upon him and, and said, say these words. In other words, he saw the glory of God in connection with the prophecies that he gave regarding Israel. A lot of them have to do with the future. A lot of them haven't, haven't yet come to pass. They have to do with the end. They have to do with, uh, with even uh, tribulation period stuff and so forth. He saw the glory of God in these things. We know that the Bible says that the glory of the Lord is in you. Colossians 1.27 says Christ in you is the hope of glory. It doesn't mean that you'll have glory someday. It says is the glory of God in you now. Why? Because the Spirit of God is the glory of God. How many of you are filled with the Holy Ghost? You have the glory of God in you. What are you doing with it? What's he doing in there? Brother Hagin used to say, is he just hitchhiking a ride through life with you? If you invited somebody in your home and they came and you sat them down in the living room, it wouldn't be very uh, hospitable of you to ignore them for the rest of the time that they're there, would it be? Yet that's what a lot of people are doing with the Holy Ghost on the inside of them now. He's there. He's there for a reason. Well, why is he there? Most Christians don't even stop to find out. What's he there for? Paul said some things about the purpose of the Holy Ghost. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12. Paul makes a very interesting comment by the Spirit of God. Remember the Holy Ghost inspired him to say these things. So really... Since he's going to tell us about the Holy Ghost, it's the Holy Ghost telling us about himself. Now that doesn't happen much. Jesus said the Spirit of God won't speak about himself. But he'll testify of me. So the fact that the Holy Ghost is giving us information about himself, the Holy Spirit, means that this must be pretty important for us to know. Verse 1. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, I'm reading from the King James. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. So we can know right away that Paul is inspired by the Holy Ghost to tell us. Or I like to say it this way, to personalize it. Here's what the Holy Ghost doesn't want you to be ignorant about. There's something the Holy Ghost doesn't want you to be ignorant of. Now, if these people weren't already ignorant of it, then the Holy Ghost wouldn't have to tell them this about not being ignorant. Which tells me that this is the natural inclination for Christians to be ignorant of something 
that, that uh, a certain degree or an area of ignorance that is naturally pervasive in the body of Christ. And folks, it's certainly true today. Notice what it says. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. Most people will look at that and say, oh, okay, God doesn't want us to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. That's really not what he's saying. Because notice the word gifts is in italics. If you're reading from the King James, you'll see that the word gifts is in italics. What that means is the translators added that to try to help us understand. The problem is they didn't understand. It's tough to help somebody understand when you don't know yourself. The word spiritual is literally in the Greek spirituals, plural. Now that doesn't help us any and you can understand why they're trying to put something else in there to help us. Because that doesn't make sense to us. But the word spirituals literally means things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost is saying now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. I don't want you to be ignorant. Here's the Holy Ghost saying I don't want you to be ignorant about me. I like another translation. Because it brings out the same meaning but it kind of adds a little bit to it. And that translation says it this way. Now concerning the appointed activities of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. I like that. There are things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, but they're appointed activities of the Holy Spirit. Now stop and let that sink in. Appointed activities. They're appointed activities. Now, folks, we know that the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We also know that God said of himself, I am God, I change not. Well, what about the Holy Ghost? Does he change? Jesus doesn't. God doesn't. What about the Holy Ghost? Does he change? Were these once appointed activities of the Holy Ghost, but now they're not anymore? Or maybe these were appointed activities of the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost just got so fed up working with people that he just said, yeah, forget it. I could almost accept that one. Working with people, that kind of hits home. (laughs) No, if they're appointed activities, that means God appointed them and he doesn't change. That means if they ever were appointed activities, they have to be appointed activities until the end of this age. Until Jesus comes back for the church and we go to heaven, then the rules change. But until that point in time, the rules are the same. Therefore, these are the same appointed activities of the Holy Ghost today that they were for the church at Corinth. Now, what are these appointed activities of the Holy Ghost? He tells us about how he manifests himself. He gives us nine specific ways that he manifests himself. Three of these manifestations bring revelation. Three of these manifestations are manifestations of power. And three of these manifestations say something. He says there are nine things. And remember, this is the Holy Ghost. This isn't John. uh, um, What's his name? Paul. This isn't Paul telling us what he thinks. This is the Holy Ghost inspiring him to say, here's what I do. Here's my job in the church. To manifest myself in these nine different ways. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. Working of miracles, special faith, and gifts of healings. Diverse tongues, kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Nine different ways that the Holy Ghost says, here's what I'm appointed to do in the church. Now remember, this is the spirit of glory that raised Jesus from the dead. You've got churches that are praying, oh Lord, send your glory. And yet they say that the Holy Ghost doesn't move today. 
How are we going to see the glory of God if we ought try to get it in some other way than the Holy Ghost says what He's appointed to do? Now, is that the only thing that we're going to see the, Holy, the, the glory of God manifested in? No. Because Paul talks about the glory of God or the Spirit of God or the measure of the Spirit of God that's upon the ministry gifts. He talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He speaks of the measure of the Spirit of God that's upon those offices, those ministry offices, to deliver what God has for the church in order to grow people up and mature them in the things of God. So you're going to see the glory of God in ministry gifts too. You know, it's, it's a funny thing because so often people don't even know what they have or why they have it. When I was in Bible school, there was a guy that was, uh, um, well, actually, I was out of Bible school, but uh, still working with Brother Hagin. But there was a guy that came to Bible school, and God used him in songs. He would give him spiritual songs. And it was so funny. Looking back at it, it was funny. Back then, it was frustrating because he said, well, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and, and Colossians chapter 3, it says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Everybody ought to do this. And I thought, well, yeah, it does say that. Okay, I guess he's right. I guess he's just more developed in, in, uh, in writing songs and developing songs. And he'd get songs at the spur of the moment. Brother Hagin would be preaching. He'd get a song, come up, and he'd sing the song and bless people. Man, it'd just get all over us. So I'd think, okay, well, I need to write songs. And I'd get in there, I'd pray, I'd, I'd do everything I could, and I'd write songs. You don't even have to tell me how this turned out, do you? <laughs> it was awful. And, and people would say, well, maybe you just got something extra from God. And then he said, no, I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't. Everybody's supposed to do this. Well, folks, don't get me wrong. I, I get songs. I've probably gotten five or six in the last 30 years. He used to get five or six a week. That may be a little bit of an exaggeration, but not much. I see this happening all over through the body of Christ. I see people that God uses in gifts of mir- or working of miracles. And they think it works like that way for everybody because they don't make the distinction between something that God has given them that's different from what the average person has. And they even put people under condemnation saying, well, if you're, I don't understand why you're not having miracles. And I look at some of those people and I think, well, you idiot. The only reason you're having them is because it's something God's given to you. And so often people think that because they have something from God or because God uses them in one way, then that means they can do everything. I remember some years ago, there was an evangelist, great evangelist, wonderful evangelist, pretty lousy on his morals, but really good evangelist because of the gift that God gave him. Folks, don't think that because God uses you in an area of ministry, that means everything's right about their life. That's why Jesus said, judge the, tr- the tree by the fruit that it produces. Well, you can have fruit of your ministry, but you also have fruit of your character. Jesus developed his character longer than he developed his ministry. So I'd see this evangelist. And he, he normally had a TV program. Normally he put on his TV program the, the evangelistic campaigns that had happened. Man, he had simple message of Jesus and people would flock to get saved. Then he decided he wanted to teach. So he started putting on his TV program his teaching. You never heard a worse bunch of stuff in your life. 
I mean, it would make somebody that knows the Word go crazy. Because you sit there and say, wait a minute, that can't be right because the Bible says this. Did you say something else? That's not right because the Bible says this. Well, what would make somebody that doesn't have that gift think that they can do it? Because they don't recognize that they have a gift in another area. They think it's just God putting his stamp of approval on everything. Brother Hagin made a comment. A couple of things that, let me tell you about Brother Hagin's ministry that I've, I've thought a lot about over the years. One of the things that uh, happened was uh, during the, um, right after World War II, uh, there was a healing revival that started in America. It ran from 1947 to 1956, I think it was. And during that time, uh, it was a, a period of time in the church where tents were springing up everywhere. And uh, they were evangelistic campaigns, but also healing revivals as well. And people of the thousands. Uh, Oral Roberts uh, had a tent that would seat uh, 11,000, I think. And then another guy came along who wanted to have a bigger tent, wanted to say he had the biggest tent in the world. So he put in a tent that would seat 12,000. 12,000 people. Folks, that's almost a Coliseum-type situation or a you know, stadium-type thing. And so anyway, there were healings that were taking place. Brother Hagin said it was the easiest thing in the world to get people healed. He said that he had a, a, a couple that would sing. He said they, they weren't great, but they would handle the, the emceeing of the services and do the announcements and stuff like that. He said they just had a, a pleasant voice and just had a singing ministry. He said during the healing revival, they went out and started having tent meetings and got people healed too. Not because they had a gift in that direction, just because that's the way the Holy Ghost was moving. And so anyway, Brother Hagin said that, um, uh, that during this time, Gordon Lindsay, who founded uh, Christ for the Nations down in Dallas, Texas. His wife, Frida Lindsay, has been running it for years um, after his death. Um, he started something and recognized that these ministers needed some way, some means, some vehicle for advertising. So he started uh, um, uh, oh, what, Healing Voice, something like that. Huh? I don't remember what it is. It's something, Voice Something. So anyway, all the, uh, all the major healing revivalists, as they were called in those days, would advertise their meetings and, and it would be a way for people to contact, hey, come to our town, we'll get together at the churches and support this meeting and that kind of stuff. Everybody except Oral Roberts was using the Voice of Healing. That's what it was, Voice of Healing uh, magazine for their advertising. And, um, and so they'd have the convention every year. And all these guys would come together and Brother Hagin said the stories that you'd hear people tell about how God was using them and this happened, this miracle took place and this miracle took place. He said it was just fascinating. He said, but one, uh, one couple of years after it was going and he was, uh, you know, well known among the people as a, as a, a teacher, but then he'd also have um, healing results because of the special anointing God gave him in that area. Nobody else was teaching. Everybody else was preaching. And so Brother Hagin saw that the, the fruit that was being produced by these other ministries was going to fall off the, off the tree and rot on the ground. So he started teaching. He had a teaching gift, so he started teaching. And so somewhere along the way, I'm not sure what year it was, but somewhere along the way at one of these conventions, Brother Hagin speaking to all these ministers, big-name big people, people that have a lot bigger meetings, a lot bigger crowds than what he did, he said, when all you boys are gone, I'm still going to be around. Well, that sounded like the most arrogant thing anybody could possibly say. You pipsqueak, who do you think you are? And then he explains it. He said, you guys have all built your ministry on gifts. You've built your ministries on the ministry gift God has given you instead of building it on the Word. He said, I'm building mine on the Word. He said, so I'm going to be around when all, this, all you guys are gone. He said, the Holy Ghost isn't going to keep moving like this forever. And when he stops moving in this way, you're going to have nothing left. But because I've built on the Word... 
I'll, be, I'll still be around. Well, he was the last one standing. Of all these guys, he was the last one standing that were part of the voice of healing. See, Brother Hagin recognized what he had. He recognized the limits of what he had, and that's the key. The key is to recognize what God uses somebody in and see what those limits are. People start getting in trouble when they go outside of the limits of what God's given them. T.L. Osmond told me something one time, and T.L. has probably ministered to more people uh, face-to-face than anybody else that's ever lived. Reinhard Bonnke is, is pushing him now. I don't know if he's caught him or not. But T.L. told me one time, he said, the important thing, Mike, is to remember not to let your vision outgrow God's plan for your ministry. Well, I felt insulted. I thought he was telling me that whatever your vision is, God doesn't want you to do that much. But what he was saying is, find out what God's plan is and stick with that. Don't get outside of that. Don't get outside of that. Another thing that Brother Hagin said that, um, that caused me to understand some things about the Spirit of God. And I want you to understand some things because I want you to receive what God has for you. Folks, I'd rather you leave you, I'd rather you leave this place understanding things about how God works than have you sh- shouting and jumping and hollering and running around the room. As you jump and shout and holler, you'll think, wow, wasn't that a great service? Pastor Mike really had us going today. But you leave understanding something about God and you'll focus on him when you leave the room instead of me. So let me tell you how it works. Brother Hagin said that there were two places when he was in his ministry and when he was traveling from church to church and, and doing crusades. He wasn't in, he did, everybody prophesied to him that he was supposed to buy a tent and he said he never did. It wasn't God's plan for him. He'd go and minister in the churches. Therefore, he had smaller meetings than some of the other guys did. But he said there were always two churches that he could go in, and the prophet's ministry would operate just at the drop of a hat. He was called to be in a pro- uh, called a, as a prophet. He was anointed as a prophet, but it wouldn't work everywhere. He said, but there were two places that he could always go. One was Brother Wood's church, which was his home church. Now, here's what I mean by that. Brother Hagin recognized that while he's out on the road, his family needs to be fed spiritually. And so he moved his ministry to the church that he knew his family would be best fed and ministered to. That was Brother Wood's church. So he said, because Brother Wood knew me, because the people knew me, because my family lived there and they knew what my ministry was, they were exposed to me, they believed in me. He said, I could go in at the drop of a hat, just out of the blue. And he said, the prophet's ministry would operate every time I was there. He said, there was only one other church that was that way. That was Brother and Sister Goodwin's church. He said Brother Goodwin and his wife were of such spiritual understanding, they taught their people how to receive from the ministry that was coming in. And he said because that, the people were, were prepared. And then what God, whatever God wanted me to do, it would work just automatically. Well, that's what I'm trying to get you ready for with Terry coming in. Now think about what that means. That means there were a lot of places Brother Hagin was just as called to be a prophet, just as anointed to be a prophet, that it wouldn't work. So did God call him and anoint him to be a prophet to, to go to places that it wouldn't work? In other words, God appointed him, that the Holy Ghost, appointed that the Holy Ghost would work through him in certain ways, but it wouldn't always work that way because of the people and the attitude of the people, the resistance of the people. But you get in a place where the people are open. 
You get in a place where the people have been taught. You get in a place where the people are receptive to what God has for them to do. And God can do miraculous things. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, how does that work for you, Pastor Mike? Well, folks, I've got a teaching gift. I appreciate when people say, you know, Pastor Mike, your teaching really blesses me. I'm glad of that. But to be real honest with you, I don't have anything to do with it. I hate to put it on these terms because it kind of cheapens it, but it's like telling me you like my shiny car when I didn't buy it. I don't have anything to do with it. It's something that God has given me. It's a gift that God's given me. I didn't always have it. I always thought the way that I thought, but that didn't mean that I always had a gift to teach. But there was a certain day that I had something all of a sudden that I didn't have the day before, and from that point on I was able to teach. I know exactly when it happened. Well, I can go anywhere and teach because that gift is on me. But I can't go everywhere and have people receive what I'm saying. Now I can go overseas, particularly Peru. One of the reasons we keep taking mission trips and have taken a lot of mission trips to Peru is because Jim Andrews has done the job in Peru to get his people ready. He's prepared the ground. And so I can go to Peru and have miracles there that I, don't, not, that I can't get here in the same measure. Now, don't get me wrong. We have miracles here. I just got a report from a lady in uh, uh, Wednesday, I guess it was. She was diagnosed with stage 4 uh, cancer, cancer of the breast. And it had spread into her chest, spread into her lungs. She started taking chemotherapy around December. But we've been working with her all along the way, getting her to confess and believe God. She was doing this stuff in faith. She just got a CAT scan or CT scan. That's a CAT scan, isn't it? Whatever it is, CT scan. She got a CT scan this last week, and the doctor said there's no trace of it whatsoever. Now, the doctor thinks it was his chemotherapy. I have no doubt that the doctor thinks it was his chemotherapy treatments that did it. But he gives chemotherapy to a lot of other people, and it doesn't work. So it can't just be the chemotherapy. You look at the statistics, and chemotherapy works less often than it doesn't work as far as making things disappear. Isn't it a coincidence that the person that's believing God for healing gets results? Now, folks, whether you want to think so or not, that's miraculous. Something was there, and it disappeared. That's miraculous. But that's not the same kind or the same way that I can get miracles in another country. Things are different here. I don't mean to be negative about stuff. We just might as well face the facts. It works differently here than it works in other places. It works differently here than in places where people haven't heard. T.L. Osborne used to say this. He'd go back to the the Assembly of God denominational conventions. And they'd ask him. They'd they'd want him to give testimonies about all the great things that happened and try to stir up the people. And T.L. Osborne would stand up there and say, let me know where you're going. Because if I can get there first, I can get miracles. But if you beat me to a, to a country and you tell him God doesn't do that anymore, he said, I can't get miracles there. See, so much of the time here, you've got to fight through the teaching, the religious teaching that people have had in America that God doesn't do that anymore. But if you can break through, you can get the same miraculous results. But usually those miracles come not by a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Thank God those things work, at least through me. 
It doesn't work because of working of miracles. Through me it works because you keep getting the word, pounding the word in again and again and again. You keep watering the seed, keep watering the seed, keep watering the seed, get people to act on it, and then they get miraculous results. It's not an overnight thing. Some people aren't willing to do that. They'd run, rather run after somebody that has gifts of, uh, of healings or working of miracles in their ministry. Well, okay, I don't have a problem with that. But there's no guarantee that's going to work for everybody. You can't find anybody that has working of miracles operating in their ministry that it works for everyone. I hope it works for you. If that's, if that's your choice, if that's the move that somebody makes, I hope it works for them. But if it doesn't, then what? Thank God for the Word. Thank God for the Word. Here's the problem. Paul said that the body of Christ is like a human body. He said some of the parts of the body are better to look at than others. Prettier to look at than others. You look at somebody, the first thing you usually notice is their eyes. Oh, you have beautiful eyes. Not too many people look at your feet and say, wow, those feet are really pretty. Well, if you're the part of the body of Christ that's a foot, you can sometimes feel left out. Well, I don't get the compliments that the eyes get. But the eyes aren't going to go very far if the feet don't work. The eyes are going to look at the same thing over and over and over again unless the feet move them to a different place. So everybody's got their part. Everybody's got a part to play. Our problem is we try to attach importance or benefit or worthiness on the parts that we think from our natural understanding are better. And that's not always the way it works. I've seen people like Terry Mize come into a place. Uh, I'm not talking about him specifically, but I've seen people that have ministry gifts like him. And, and they start, to start off the, the meeting and they'll say, well, the Lord is pressed upon me to teach tonight. And you just hear a groan throughout the crowd. Like, oh. We don't want you to teach. We want to show. When they don't realize, sometimes the teaching sets the stage for the show. The Lord has shown me in prayer over the last several months. The Lord has shown me some miracles that he wants to, to perform. You know what my job in that is? Not to perform the miracles, but to set you up to receive the miracles. Now some people, assuming everything goes the way God wants it to, you know what's going to happen? Some people are going to leave and say, boy, that Terry Mize has got it. And thank God he does. I wish Pastor Mike could do that kind of stuff. And you know what I'm going to think about that? I'm not going to care one bit. I'm fine with being the setup guy. Doesn't bother me. Because a lot of times we're going to find out when we get to heaven, some of the things happen because somebody else was willing to take a back seat. You remember what John said about Jesus' ministry? He said, He, Jesus, must increase, so I must decrease. It all comes down to this, folks. It comes down to being able to see things and judge them spiritually. Some of the things that we see and judge to be of little spiritual value are the very key components. 
that bring about the things that we really desire and want. Thank God for His Word. Thank God for His Word. So let me give you a preview of coming attractions. You want that? Terry's going to come in here and he's going to remark how easy it is to minister here. He's going to say, boy, you guys are ready to receive. And we're just going to smile. Yes, amen. Whatever God wants to do. Even if he says he's coming in to teach, fine. Because the Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the word. Worst mistake somebody can make in a situation like that is shut themselves off and say, that's not what I want. Because that may be the very path to get to you to what you want. I have never seen anybody with a stronger anointing for miracles than Terry Mice. Just telling you the way it is. He's not the biggest name around because he doesn't go to the places that he gets the most coverage. He goes where God sends him. But I have never seen anybody that has a greater anointing for miracles than Terry. If you know somebody that needs a miracle, bring them. Just like in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was yet speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on all them that heard the word. I said this before, but I feel impressed to say it again. There are going to be things, and I really believe this is what filling this house with glory in the last days is. Folks, I've got to tell you, I'm not going to get more of the Holy Ghost than I've got now. I'm not going to get more saved than, I'm, than I am saved now. Neither are you. So how is he going to fill you with more? How is he going to give you more of the Holy Ghost? You've got all the God there is. You may not be walking in it, but we've got all there is. The Holy Ghost didn't twins. He's not going to send his twin brother now to fill us too. That's not the way it works. Well, then how is he going to fill this house with glory? How is there going to be greater glory in the latter days, the last day house of God, than there was in the early day house of God? How is that possible? I believe Acts 10 is the key. The Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the word, and they of the circumcision were amazed because that upon the Gentiles the gift of the Holy Ghost was given. How do they know? Because they heard him speak with tongues and magnify God. I believe the key for the last day glory, the last day move of glory, is God doing things that we might not have thought he could do. You know what that means to me? That means I need to put myself in a position where nothing surprises me. That means I need to have such an expectancy of God that nothing surprises me. So let me tell you what's going to happen when God does miracles. Let me tell you what's going to happen when we hear reports of things that make our mouths fall open. I'm going to keep my mouth shut and act like, yeah, I knew that. (laughs) And on the inside, I'm going to be going. But on the outside, yeah, that's just like God, isn't he? And that's the key. Expect everything. We were singing a song earlier in the service. Uh, guys, help me out. Ron, do you still have that, uh, that picture of Jesus in the sky? It was on the, the song Glory. You got that? Throw that up there. Let me know when it's there. Beautiful song. Wonderful. You get blessed looking at the picture. Is it there yet? 
Okay, you see that? That'll never happen. (laughs) Impossible. It's a beautiful idea. We'll see Jesus in the sky. See all the people's heads? They're turned up. (gasps) Never happen. You know why? Because the instant... The instant, the one one hundredth or one one thousandth or one one millionth of a second that it takes to register on your mind that that's Jesus, you'll be there with Him. It will be instantaneous. Jesus will not open the sky and stand there and say, Come on. Come on. Come on. Yeah. You too. Come on. Yeah. You. That's not going to happen. Jesus is going to appear and you're going to instantly be there with Him. And in that instant, that moment of time, your body is going to be changed. All of a sudden, it's not going to be, you're not going to feel it start with your toes and go, Oh, redeemed, now my knees are redeemed, now my waist is redeemed, now my chest, I'm redeemed, I've got my redeemed body. It's not the way it's going to work. It's going to be instantaneous. When Jesus is there, you're going to be there too. And we're all going to be standing around saying, wow, this is cool. I don't know how long we get to stay there. Long enough for everybody else to see, I guess. And then we go back to heaven with him. But that is not going to happen. That's the miracle nature of God. And folks, what I want you to understand, if I can leave you with anything this morning, it's this. You've got the miracle worker living in you. We think that miracles work like in slow motion. We've seen so much TV. We think miracles work like in slow motion. Where if God, like when Jesus uh, healed the guy with the withered hand in, the, in the, uh, uh, the synagogue. Jesus says, stretch forth your hand. Everything must have stopped or slowed down in time. Where the, the guy's going. It's not the way it works. You don't get to think things through and and experience every second and all that kind of stuff. It happens. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. The Holy Ghost came suddenly. Miracles happen suddenly. Be ready for suddenlies. Miracles are the characteristic of God. He doesn't do something different to perform a miracle. He is miracles. And the Holy Ghost is appointed to perform them. Are you open to Him performing them in you, around you, and for you? You've got a part to play. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You, Father, that You are a miracle-working God. Miracles haven't passed away because You're the God of miracles. And you're not gone. You're the same as you've always been. Father, I thank you in these meetings that are upcoming. And not just in these special meetings, Father. I'm not trying, and nor do I believe it's my purpose, to try to get people inspired to believe you during these certain meetings, but then after that go back to their normal way of life. But rather, Father, I believe that it's our purpose. And what we're attempting to do is to get people expecting everything. Not just to expect the unexpected, but to expect everything. Because you're the God that's more than enough. We expect you to do healing miracles, Father. 
because you're the God of miracles. We expect you to do miracles of provision. In the Old Testament, you multiplied the widow's, the widow's meal and caused the barrel of meal and the, the cruise of oil to not fail. You haven't changed, Father. You're the same today as you were then. You multiplied loaves and fishes in Jesus' day. You haven't changed. We expect you to multiply provisions today. We thank you, Father, for doing miracles in family situations. Things that look to be impossible. People that have turned away from you and and have vowed that they would never, ever return. Thank you, Father, that you and only you can reach them. Wrestle with them in their beds at night. Just like you did Jacob. To bring them back to your goodness and your purpose and your plan. Father, I think you're the God that restores. We expect restoration. That which the devil has stolen, Father, we believe you to restore those things. We know it will take a miracle to do it in many cases. That's why we look into you for it. We thank you, Father, that with God nothing is impossible, and with men that believe nothing is impossible either. We believe you. We believe you. Father, we believe that you meant exactly what you said when you told us that you'd shake all nations and the desire of all nations would come and you'd fill this house with glory. We believe you when you said the silver and gold was yours. We believe you when you said the glory of the latter house will be greater than of the former. And in this place will you give peace. Father, we expect that in the last days the church, the people of God and the house of God where we live individually and where we congregate together will be the only place on earth that there is peace. Because you're the God of peace. Father, help us to operate in the wisdom of the Holy Ghost. To recognize what our part is. To recognize that all the parts fit together. And to take advantage of everything And every person that you put in our path. That we might cooperate together with you. And do our part to win others to Jesus. Father I thank you. For the multitudes of people that will be won into the kingdom of God. By the operation of your glory. Reach those father that we are not inclined to. To want reached. Reach into every religion and every country. With the glory of God. You said Father. That the earth. Would be filled with the knowledge of your glory. You didn't just say our church. You didn't just say our country. You said the earth. Would be filled with the knowledge of your glory. You said it would be like the waters. That cover the seas. We consider that, Father, to be an overflowing, immeasurable thing. For there are even seas on this planet that we don't know how deep they are. That's the way we expect you to work in the last days. Father, we love you. We thank you so much. I'm proud to be your setup man, Father. If that's all I ever am, I'm happy. I'm happy to follow you. I'm happy to do what you have for me to do. 
Glorify your name, Lord. Glorify your name. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, Lord, is that all you've got for us to do? Let's stand together. Before we go, let's just lift our hands and worship Him for a moment. There's such a sweet presence of God here. That occurs whenever we do what He wants us to do. Lord, we worship You. We magnify You. We thank You for Your goodness. We thank You. You're so kind to us. You've been so patient with us. You've shown your loving kindness to us in so many ways. You don't hold our wrongdoings against us. But rather, you reach out in love. You've given us your word to set us free, to heal us, to deliver us. You never gave up on us, Father. Even in those cases where we gave up on ourselves. Thank you, Father, that there's nothing too hard for you. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord Jesus. The glory's here. There's a mist above your head. Father, thank you. Thank you for confirming your word with signs following. Thank you, Father, that as people reach out in faith and receive from you, they receive their healings. They receive. There's somebody here that's been hooked. Addiction is what I heard. There's somebody here that has an addiction. Reach out in faith. Just put your hands up in that glory. There's your deliverance right there. I think it's drugs, but I'm not sure. That's not what I heard. I just heard addiction. Drugs may be my own thinking. But there's an addiction. If you have an addiction, something you've been struggling with or struggling against, reach out and take it by faith. Oh, Lord, we bless you. We bless you, Lord Jesus. Yeah. Turning point. Turning point. Time to change. No longer in and out, in and out, in and out. But in for good. In for good. Strengthened by the Holy Ghost. And in for good. That's what I heard the Spirit say. Strengthened by the Holy Ghost. And in for good. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, we commit ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, we give you freedom to operate any way you want to, in any and every way you see fit. In these special meetings, certainly, we draw from the anointing that you place on Brother Terry. 
We give the Holy Spirit free run and course to operate as He wills, but not just in these special meetings, Father, in our lives. All the time. Every time we come together. In the Old Testament, Lord, when the Spirit of the Lord would come upon somebody, it would change them into another man. Change us in the same way. Change us. Change us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Say this after me. I receive of the glory of God to change me, to make me what God wants me to be, to conform me to the character of Jesus and the very glory of God. Do you mean that? Amen. 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 God bless you. We love you. You're the best people in the world.